Hello and welcome to Your Employment Matters. I'm Beverly Williams and I'm here to help you navigate your career. This is for anyone who's searching for their dream job or promotion, or perhaps you're just looking to hang on to the job you have. Today's work environments are multi-generational, multi-religious, multinational, multiracial, and multi-gender and multi-gender identity. Add market disruptors like Amazon and Lyft, along with the addition of AI, and it's easy to see why finding and keeping a job is such a challenge. Employment success and even employment survival depend on your ability to adapt. That's why my goal for this 30-minute podcast is to first advocate embracing change and differences, and second, to encourage you to proactively assume responsibility for your career. Get your work week off to a good start by listening to Your Employment Matters every Monday. Find out how to own your career and get the best practices for making your employment matter. My guest, Tahira Henderson, is a doula. For those who don't know what a doula is, or who are like women don't know all of what a doula does, Tahira will educate us. I googled doula and learned that a doula is a person, and what I didn't know was that doulas could be female or males. They're trained companions, but they're not healthcare professionals. A doula supports another individual who is the doula's client. The doula supports the client through a significant health-related experience, such as childbirth, miscarriage, induced abortion or stillbirth, or even non-reproductive experiences, such as end-of-life dying. Doulas may also provide support to the client's partner, family, and friends. I didn't know that either. The purpose or the goal is to help clients feel safe and comfortable while complementing the role of healthcare professionals who attend to the client's medical care. Now, according to the International Childbirth Education Association, ICEO, birth doulas are trained to attend and support not only the physical and emotional needs of women in labor, but their social needs as well. I didn't know that. Doulas offer guidance about postpartum or post-delivery after the child is born. They provide resources during that time as well. So that will give you a sense of the profession we're going to talk about today. Tahira, thank you so much for joining me today. Yours is the profession that many people may not know much about, and hopefully together we can change that reality. Hey, Beverly, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today and talk about doula work, which I'm very passionate about. So this is fun. I know you are. In the interest of full disclosure, Tahira is another one of my children. I've known her since she was born. She's family. So we're comfortable with each other and we hope that we can impart some information that may help someone make a career decision that they hadn't considered before. So Tiara, what made you decide to become a doula? So actually I started my doula journey 
as a volunteer. Doula work, a lot of people, if they're familiar with the term doula, and it comes from the Greek woman who serves, it's now expanded where it's not just woman. And it can be in situations other than just the traditional birthing setting. But full spectrum, any kind of intense event in life, you can have this physical and emotional support. And I started my journey as a volunteer. I've done a lot of volunteer work in various capacities since I was a teenager. In my own professional career, kind of getting away from direct care and wanted to have that connection. And so I started in a women's health clinic and a full spectrum reproductive justice doula, if you will. And I wanted to enter in a, in a space where I didn't have to pay money for training. Training, <laughs> you know, there's a cost associated with training. And I was looking for a way to enter without a huge financial commitment. And so I started off in a women's health clinic as a volunteer. And that training was a very short training. It was a, a few days and it was free, but then you get more of your experience on the, at the site. So shadowing other doulas and then working in the clinic and kind of building up your skills. And then through that experience, I became part of a volunteer collective of women and learned about this whole doula world where I could serve in various capacities and actually decided that I wanted it to become my full-time profession. So in the clinic, I was working as a volunteer and I would work maybe a few days a month, very intense, you know, short-term experience. And then I wanted to branch into birth work. Birth work is very intense. And so most people are not doing that as a volunteer. They may have a few pro bono clients if they do it all, but it's on call because birth happens whenever. And so usually that is a fee for service. Let me interrupt you. So sure. people were, their pro bono means free of charge. Right. That you do it without charging a fee. Right. And so once I decided that I wanted to kind of expand my skills, and I was really interested in this doula model of care. I'm still a relatively new in doula work. I did my training two years ago and I've been working professionally as a doula, actually my title is perinatal community health worker. And so it's a little bit more expansive than just doula. It's kind of all things along the, the spectrum of birth. So pregnancy, healthy pregnancy, labor support, and then also postpartum care. Once I decided that I wanted to really engage full time, I went to a kind of intensive training and my desire to do birth work was very specific to Black women's experiences in maternal health and maternal morbidity rates. So initially when I started as a volunteer, I wanted to have a direct health experience. And that came from my own personal experiences as just an adult kind of navigating the health world and experiences with doctors, experiences with my own health, talking to my friends, and maybe they've had some hardships or difficulties. And the kind of care that I would give as a doula to a client is the kind of care that I would want my sister to receive. So that is definitely my approach is that this could be one of my friends. This could be my sister. This could be a family member. And I would want someone there to hold their hand, to talk to them, to help them be educated, to make informed decisions. And then once I understood that we are very much in a crisis with maternal health and especially for black women. I wanted to get training that was culturally competent, specific, and sensitive, and really address Black women's needs with this crisis. So that pushed me to get more training 
and more training that was really specific to Black women's needs in my community that I would see. Can you speak a little bit more about the crisis you refer to? I don't know whether everyone is aware of the crisis in the minority community with respect to childbirth. So right now in the United States, we have almost developing world maternal morbidity rates. So women dying because of childbirth or shortly after, usually within the first 42 days, we have rates that are much worse than any other developed nation. And for Black women, it's more than twice that rate. And this is regardless of income or socioeconomic status. So you can be a college-educated Black woman with a good job, insurance, and seeing doctors regularly, and your health outcomes can be compared to a white woman who has not been to college is, you know, makes considerably less money than you. So money is not really a factor in the health experiences for Black women in the U.S. There were a few, there have been several kind of high profile cases in the news of these healthy women or seemingly healthy women who have babies and are dying in childbirth in modern times in the recent years. You're looking around, you're like, this is crazy. This is the U.S., How are women dying in childbirth? That wasn't something I grew up knowing about. That always seemed like a problem from hundreds of years ago. Like women don't die in childbirth in modern times. And I started hearing more stories about this and how their concerns were ignored, their pain was ignored. And unfortunately, this has resulted in many cases, um, death for black women. And that really felt like a call to action for me personally. I understand. You got the training that you needed. You got the practical experience that you wanted and needed. You are committed and passionate about making a difference in our communities. What else drives? So my training and training really does vary from state to state. There's not like one licensing body for doula training. The training that I received was a seven month intensive training that also included many like apprenticeship hours. Oh, some doula training, you do your training and that may be short. And then on your own, you find apprenticeship opportunities for most people for their training to be kind of considered valid or taken seriously, even though there's not one body. People want to see that you've done some work with people who've been doing this work for quite some time or respected. You would hope that someone isn't training for a couple of days with no experience and then just saying, hey, we can <laughs> we can support you through all of these intense experiences with very little support. So the training that I went to had all of it built in. But once I got the training and started working full time, which is, is what I do, anywhere from about 20 clients at one given time, once I started following them through their pregnancies and, you know, accompanying them to doctor's visits and then supporting them through their labor and postpartum, I saw a huge difference just in their lives, in the data and reported outcomes. So, you know, accompanying them to doctor's visits and providing childbirth education and then working with my clients to see that, you know, they're now informed of the process. They understand what's happening. They're Style of communication with their doctors is much more open and fluid. It is a conversation. It's not just the doctor telling them what to do and them maybe listening or not. They kind of understand the reasons that suggestions are made. They feel comfortable in 
stating the things that they thought maybe didn't matter and just really being there for their birth experience. That has been really rewarding for me personally. And it kind of led me to see like everyone deserves this level of care. Before I started doing this work, I thought of doula work as a little bit more of a boutique experience. So for people who could afford this like extra support or Oh, pamper yourself. And it, it really isn't that. It really is everyone's basic right to to quality care. Absolutely. But you're making a difference in a person's life. And that has to be rewarding. When you can see a progression, a positive progression of change that benefits an individual and will benefit their family. You can't put a price tag on that. No, no, you can't. And also it's the start for a lot of people for their family unit. So the yeah. health care that they receive when they're pregnant and feeling empowered to make decisions about the choices for their family's health and even like socioeconomic status, like we look at all the determinants of wellness. So are you securing your housing? Does your job support your general well-being? Are you being empowered when you feel like you're not being heard or you're advocating for yourself? All of these things are a start to a healthy family because you're empowered as a mother. And that's more than just, oh, did you, you know, push out a baby smoothly and both of you all are alive on the other side? Being empowered to make healthy decisions for your child once your child comes starts with planting those seeds during pregnancy and involving a community to support you through the birth and then after. Interestingly enough, a friend emailed me this morning because she is involved in, she's a businesswoman and she's very active in her community. She's philanthropic, the whole nine. And she sent me an email asking me if I uh, had become aware of the effect the pandemic had on working parents and particularly uh, she has a, a phrase, maternal wall bias, that I had not heard before. And consistent with what you're saying, it seems like the pandemic may be impacting women more than males. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, so now I have to respond to her and I have a feeling that she's going to take off and try to do something about this. But, you know, it's always a concern for women. Women don't always feel empowered about their personal situation, whether it be pregnancy and childbirth, whether it be employment. And we have to take steps to change that. And I think you're making what your work is doing is helping chip away at that negative situation. We can change it. We can make a difference. Absolutely. And by supporting people, if nothing else, by supporting women, if nothing else. But let me ask you this, Tia, because I know that you graduated from Spelman mm -hmm. in, in Atlanta. Yes. Do you need a degree to become a doula? You don't. <laughs> you do not need a degree to interact. The, the organization that I work with is a Black women-run nonprofit organization that primarily serves Black women. You know, we're open, obviously, to anyone, but the model of care that we offer is very much designed on the needs of Black women, our culture, and providing community-based service in the Washington, D.C. area, also um, Maryland. But the people that I work with, range of education levels, I've, there's another Spelmanite who works with me. And she's a lawyer and brings that to the table. There are midwives in the organization, people with master's degrees, nutritionists. But right now, 
in order to be able to really serve the community, it is open. You don't have to have a college degree. You don't have to have, you know, outside formal training besides your, your doula work. But in order to be an effective doula, just depending and to really grow in your profession, there's lots of continuous training that's available. So most doulas I know are constantly continuing with their education. So I got my doula training and then went forward to get additional lactation training and information. So lactation is really uh, breastfeeding. It's lactating is breastfeeding. That has a huge impact on a baby, a child's health, obesity rates, immune system, and for a whole host of reasons, the rates between, there's tremendous disparity between ethnic communities' breastfeeding rates. So I wanted to be able to support women in that choice to breastfeed with managing work, family expectations, discomfort, because a lot of women may not have others around them or an example of women who did breastfeed continuously and um, may need extra support with that. But the doulas I know are constantly getting more training in fertility, in postpartum care, nutrition, like I said. So there's always ways to improve and to be able to offer more to your clients. And most people I know, once they start, you are inspired and empowered to get additional education, whether that's through an additional, like a terminal degree. Some doulas go on to become midwives. Some doulas go on in, in various capacities. But it's that start of being passionate about healthcare and about women, whatever skills you can bring to the table to best serve. So most women I know are, do go on for additional education. So there is a career path. There is a career path, but it's not a traditional trajectory. It's not like, oh, the next step is clear. Oh, this is, this is one level higher of what you do. So a lot of women will either work with collaborative or they'll have their own business and maybe have a backup doula for births when they're not available. Because if you're available for birth, that is at the time of labor, a 24 hour on call situation. And so some women have other jobs besides being a doula. You know, they may have another nine to five that is separate from their workers doulas, or they take on enough clients to kind of sustain themselves financially. But then you do run the risk of not being available for every single birth. So you may need backup or, you know, support with other people in the field just to make sure that you're available for everyone. So you can, you know, you can go on to a whole host of other professions in kind of perinatal health care or just running your own business, child development, family support, but it, it kind of stems from the same philosophy. That makes sense. No, it does make sense. When I was conducting the cursory research I was doing, I was wondering about career paths, but it sounds like depending on your what your interest is and your passion, there are opportunities and this could be the starting point for people who were interested and so motivated to move on to other areas. But I understand that there are different types of doers. Mm-hmm. We've about birth doulas. Can you tell us what other types there are? Sure. So traditionally with, with just birth doulas, there is labor support and then postpartum doulas can be completely separate. So someone who provides labor support may not provide support in the postpartum period where they're really kind of focusing 
on the mother's wellness and also kind of newborn care. Someone else may be more of the childbirth educator. There's also full spectrum doulas who will assist mothers through difficult pregnancies, perhaps stillbirth, or even elective medical abortions. And then there's also, which I learned more about probably last year, death doulas who offer a much more intensive and personalized, culturally appropriate version of hospice care. So any point in kind of the lifespan where you're experiencing an intense event, you can have this doula support. And a lot of times when people are not familiar with it, it's like, oh, well, if I have a good doctor or, oh, if I have this general support, why do I need a doula? A doula is really going to be there with you in a very intimate way when whatever event is happening to really make themselves available for you and for your family to kind of ease you through that period in a way where a lot of it is, I'm coming to your home. I'm helping you ready your home, like in a very, I'm helping you get the things you need, like your, your, your actual life, not just a doctor's, an office visit. It's a very intimate level of care to help you through a difficult transition. So I guess based on what you're saying, I can conclude that men, a male in hospice could get a doula. Yes, absolutely. Okay. First of all, I didn't realize that doulas had a role end of life situations. I didn't know that. I didn't know that, as I said earlier, that males could be doulas too. Right. So they can be doulas in any situation. A lot of people are, you know, just traditionally more comfortable with a woman in birthing situations, but men can train to help their partners, family members, spouses, you know, as we kind of are expanding concepts of of gender and what a family looks like, what your doula looks like. be very, very different. And so it's all about the level of care and the comfort. So men can absolutely be all of those things. You know, we serve, we are very gender inclusive in our support, non-binary. We're not really restricted to, you know, gender roles of mother, father. It's a very usually open and welcoming community. So the clients that I serve can fall anywhere on the spectrum of the LGBTQIA community and even those providing the service. Well, you've talked about your training. Is there a requirement uh, for doulas to continue getting educated? You know, like annual uh, seminars or, or courses to keep up on industry or profession developments and techniques so that you're always on top of what's going on in your profession. Is there a continuing professional education requirement? So not, there isn't one. A lot of it's based on states. Like for instance, at my job, I can go into any hospital in the city as a doula with my organization. It's recognized and we have basic life to be able to be insured, uh, private insurance as a doula. So to be insured as a home health care support person, community health care support person, I have CPR certification, basic life skills training. I'm certified. I certify every year that, you know, I don't have a criminal record and my, um, I'm a mandated reporter for child abuse. So there are just depending on the, the services you offer, there may be certifications that you need to get or that you should get to be responsible to be licensed to operate either as an independent contractor or with an agency. Some hospitals do want to see 
some record of training when you are able to come in as a doula. So there are some organizations that are a little bit more recognized than others, but there is no one certifying body. So I have a whole host of, of just certifications that I usually do either annually or biannually just for kind of safety insurance. We're going into homes. So food safety, like all of the, if we are providing that service, then we want to be certified that we're able to do it safely and effectively and we've taken the time. But that is not a requirement of being a doula. And in order to make it the whole idea of, um, especially with community support, is we don't want to price people out of the profession. A lot of people sometimes, and I'm, I'm jumping a bit, but a lot of times people confuse doulas with midwives who health practitioners, they are very much like the doctor or nurse. They are delivering the baby. I'm supporting the mother and the baby, um, providing emotional and physical support, but I'm not the person who actually is delivering the baby. But there was a tradition of midwives in this country. More often, the granny midwife was in rural settings, you know, up until probably the early 70s, late 60s. Granny midwives were black when women weren't able to go into the hospitals. And then when integration happened, there were, there was a change in requirements. And most of the midwives you see are certified nurse midwives who are registered nurses. And that ended up putting a lot of women who had traditionally been in the field out of business. And so there's, while there's a desire for um, recognizing our profession and recognizing that we do have skills, we don't want to push people out of the profession with all of these requirements for licensing or expensive requirements for training. We want to make sure that it's, it's safe, <laughs> right. but we want it to be, we want it to be open and we want it to be accessible. You know, one of the things you, you mentioned the phrase independent contracting. Mm-hmm. Um, I know what that means. Uh, now it means that you're not an employee, right? That you're in business for yourself. Mm-hmm. And that is something that people that are listeners should be aware of. There are steps that you should take as an independent contractor, such as insurance, such as making sure you keep records of your income and and sources, and, and to make sure that you are indeed an independent contractor, because sometimes those lines are blurred. Right. Absolutely. And as a doula, you can you can be an independent contractor or an employee of, say, hospital, birth center, or a maternal health care or perinatal health care organization. So you have a, a few options, but all of those options have their own requirements for work and for licensure. The organization that I work with does bill through insurance. So there's a whole host of you know, record keeping, medical billing, record keeping in order to be able to bill insurance for our services. And, you know, there's a lot of data that we need to be able to keep to ensure that everything is happening safely, that requirements are being met, and that we're producing outcomes, that this isn't just some feel good service. So it really does vary from state to state. And a lot of the way that you share information about training is actually talking to other doulas in your state locally, you know, oh, what are your experiences in the hospitals? Which hospitals do you work at? Where, what are the rules? 
if you're working in a birth center, if you're working independently, what are the people around you doing? What are they charging? How do they do it? What do their contracts look like? That's a good start to kind of developing your own business or your own approach to training and working? Well, one of the questions that came to mind, because we, we mentioned the word, but I haven't explored how you get them, client. Mm-hmm. How, do, how do you obtain clients? You say you have about 20 currently. Mm-hmm. How do you clients? How do they find out about the availability of doulas? How do they identify you as the doula they want? So the organization that I work with, clients are often referred. They're referred three ways, by word of mouth, through other clients, like family members and friends of other clients. And they say, oh, I've had a great experience. You should do this too. Oh, you're pregnant. This was really helpful for me. You should do this too. They're also referred by their insurance agency or doctors. If they spot a need for an additional support, say they have a high-risk pregnancy, maybe they don't have much family support. And doctors, you know, spot like, hey, this person would benefit from our program and from our services. And then also social media. A lot of people who work for themselves will kind of advertise their services through the local community with social media. They'll develop their own website. They'll reach out to mommy groups or pregnancy groups, chat rooms where people are kind of sharing best practices. Basically, you go to where the mothers are. And you advertise your services and people are looking. <laughs> they are absolutely looking and are interested. And that's usually the, the best place to kind of start. Now, if a woman is pregnant and decides that she wants a doula, mm-hmm. let's do it both ways. She has health care insurance and she doesn't have health care insurance. How does she get I mean, the person that the woman that doesn't have health care insurance, she may, unless she can afford it herself, will she be able to get a doula? So in many states, no. In many states, doula, if someone is working independently, often that is not billed through insurance and that, and it can be cost prohibitive because, you know, if someone is completely uninsured, they may not have additional funds for each visit. The range for services can be a few hundred dollars per session for to up to a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars for labor services specifically if they're just charging out of pocket for our agency because we have an agreement with the Medicaid providers and we also have grants to support low income women and women with high risk. So if someone comes to us, we will sometimes help them get insurance as part of our social service support or we may be able to support them through a grant. That's with our program in Washington, D.C. That may not be available, the city where someone without insurance is living. But there may be resources that people should try to identify. But also there are, in most states, there are emergency prenatal services where someone can be quickly enrolled for Medicare if they are pregnant. So the need to get prenatal care is high. And even if someone may not have qualified before, may have been kind of in between either jobs or for some reason it wasn't, they didn't clearly have Medicaid or the health exchange insurance. They should be able to go into a community clinic and be assisted to get emergency care and support through this prenatal 
labor and immediate postpartum time. So if someone doesn't have insurance and they're kind of worried like, oh, I haven't gotten any prenatal care, but I don't have insurance, I can't afford it. They can always go to a community clinic, be evaluated and be signed up for support. Well, Tamara, what advice would you give anyone, male or female, who might want to explore the possibility of becoming a doula? So I would tell them to look into their training, look into their training, look into kind of how they want to work. So do you want to do this as a full-time profession? Would you want to maybe take on a few clients a month and still keep an unrelated nine to five? How would you be able to balance that? And then look into who's offering training in your area. If no one's offering training in your area, there are lots of virtual options where they can really get good training and kind of develop into make a plan for the kinds of services that they would like to provide and look at who's getting that training if they want to do it. If they want to receive it or they're pregnant and they, regardless of income, (laughs) really being comfortable with your doctor, being comfortable with kind of your birth plan and who's going to support you during your pregnancy, during labor and afterwards. Doulas do make a difference just in terms of feelings of comfort and reduced feelings of trauma, being able to feel like they've been heard, having better health outcomes all throughout, having reduced rates of cesarean sections. They found that when clients have doulas, their labor time is usually shorter. There are less instances of having C-sections and there's more instances of having prenatal check-in, I mean, postpartum check-ins. So a lot of times a doula will catch something that a doctor may miss because doctors aren't checking on moms as frequently after the baby is born. And that's a concerning time. They may check in on a mom six weeks after the baby is born and lots can happen. And so having someone who's knowledgeable to say, oh, this is within the healthy spectrum. Let's support you in this way. Or this is actually really concerning. This needs a check-in before six weeks can be really helpful. Tahira, you've given me a lot of information. There are things, as I said, that I didn't know, but then I didn't presume that I knew them. I knew what doula did generally, Mm -hmm. but provided a lot of information that I didn't have before. Can you identify a source, a resource that anyone interested in becoming a doula might contact? Sure. They can start off with one organization that that is pretty well recognized is DONA, which is DONA International is one of the largest international doula training organizations. And so they can start there. It's a D-O-N-A. And they're one of the largest internationally recognized organizations that provides doula training. And it starts with, and they, you know, kind of define doula work and they talk a lot about various training classes that are offered. And then you may want to kind of branch out into uh, local organizations that are providing training or even looking at birth centers or hospitals in your neighborhood, in your community. Who do they work with? What services are offered? Talking to mothers. If you're interested in other forms of doula work, say you're interested in being maybe end of life, you may go to hospice care organizations. In DC, there actually, I think there may be, they're referred to as death doulas. And there may be, there are less than probably 10 
death doulas in the DC area. They're you know really well known. <laughs> and just depending on what your desire, what your experience is, what your needs, you know, cultural needs are, that kind of leads you to picking one doula over another. But they're not many and they become well known. So the circles, all of the doula circles are relatively small and tight and people do become well known and their level of training, their level of services, how they work becomes known. And so just contacting other people who are doing the work similar to what you would like to do is a great place to start. I'm glad you mentioned international because it's a very portable profession. Right. And that is something people should keep in mind. If you're trained here, you may have to require additional training to do the work in another country, but you shouldn't have any problem making the transition. Right. This is very true. Different states have different requirements where one agency may be very well known locally in your area in Washington, D.C., where I live, but may not be as well known in California or as well known internationally. And so if you wanted to move and wanted to start a business in a new location, you may need to see what the requirements are for that area and you know understand the training needs. The doula profession has become a lot more popular, more uh, recognized in more recent years. Like I mentioned with COVID, our work has changed a little bit. When the crisis first hit, the pandemic first hit, they were really restricting access to the hospitals. So most doulas were not able to get access to the hospitals because they limited the amount of people that could come in with the mother. You heard stories about New York where mothers were having to deliver babies by themselves. Like even their partner couldn't come in. That obviously got a lot of backlash very quickly and they changed that policy. And as we understood more about COVID and, you know, best practices and how to protect yourself, states and hospitals are adjusting their requirements. So in DC, there, there are no hospitals that don't allow a support person. And now some hospitals are even making space specifically for doulas. So they're allowing one family member support person and then also a trained doula because they know that we have requirements for our own COVID testing and social distance, you know, policies because of our work. Like we're going to be sensitive to that. We're going to keep in mind our own health and safety and those of our clients. So we may, we're not the same as, you know, an aunt living their life and just coming in for the birth of a family member. But people recognize the importance of doula care and, and mothers specifically said, no, we, we see a difference in our care, our comfort, our needs, and we're not going to let this pandemic, you know, be the reason that our, our rights are infringed upon. And so people actually demanded that doulas be let back into hospitals and that's happening more and more. So people are recognizing the need for additional support outside of the kind of traditional health and delivery system and they're seeing a, an improvement in outcomes. So there's a lot more opportunity in recent years for doulas to work everywhere in the country, really and even international opportunities. Well, that's a clear indication that you're making a difference. If you weren't, they wouldn't have made that exception. Right. And and I will say, even when I started coming back in, because we were working, my job, I definitely was a home health care provider in terms of prenatal appointments, postpartum appointments. And then when you went into labor, everything was in person. Nothing was like virtual. Nothing was over the phone. Because of COVID, 
Initially, it became all virtual, which was a pretty steep change and learning curve for us to provide virtual support. And now we have a more of a hybrid model to ensure everyone's safety. But it was very different, you know, not being in the hospital. And then when we started coming back, a lot of the nurses and even the doctors were like, no, it actually is good to have you back. There's, you know, a difference in, in the care needs because we don't leave, we don't leave you. A doula is going to stay in the room, the doctor and the nurse. And the nurse obviously is, you know, giving great care and, you know, has a limited number of clients, but they're still making rounds. Sure. If, if I'm in the hospital, I'm by your side really until your baby's born. And so I'm not leaving at any point. So if there's, I'm able to spot something much faster. And even, you know, when a client doesn't necessarily know to press the button and ask, I'm looking at them and I'm like, nope. Let's get someone in here right now or just a physical need. I'm thirsty. I need a massage. I'm you know, in pain. There's somebody who is looking at you and not leaving your side and giving that immediate attention. And so that allows the medical staff to really focus on more clients on, and do their job a lot more smoothly because they know somebody is, is watching. That's great. Tahira, I so appreciate you taking the time to share your experience, your employment journey and your knowledge with us, because I'm better informed. I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that our listeners may not be better informed. They know more than they knew before they started listening. And I sincerely appreciate what you do and the passion with which you do it. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This has been fun to talk about and fun talking with you, as always. Thanks for listening to Your Employment Matters with Beverly Williams. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a review. I truly appreciate your support and that helps other listeners find the podcast. If you have a comment, question, or suggestion, you can reach me at bawilliams at youremploymentmatters.com. My book, Get the Job Done, is available on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Please join me again next week. Until then, remember to embrace change and differences. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.